Welcome to another edition of the Long Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen, pastor at Hillside Church and contributor to 1517 in numerous ways, including gathering with you each Tuesday morning to look at God's two words in all of the scriptures, whether it be looking at an epistle text from the upcoming lectionary series of texts or an Old Testament text or a psalm. One way or another, we're going to dive into a part of the Bible, and this week we're going to look at the Old Testament lectionary text found in Isaiah chapter 50. And indeed, the, the passage that's supposed to be read for this weekend is a little shorter than what we're going to go over today, but I want to go over the whole chapter because, well, it's just rich with meaning and creates such a wonderful prophetic picture of the ministry of Jesus and indeed all that he does for us sinners. As I, as I noted, it is prophetic. Isaiah has written some 700 plus years before the life of Jesus. And yet, as we look at the passage, you're going to notice that it's as if Isaiah is looking in particular at the events of the cross of Christ right before his eyes. So, so without further, uh, any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into what our passage has to say to us today. It is rich with meaning and lots for us to enjoy. First of all, if I can summarize the whole passage, Isaiah 50, which is one of the four servant songs in Isaiah, found in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 52 and 53, what you're going to notice throughout all of these servant songs is that they are dramatic depictions of what the Messiah will do in order to save sinners. And indeed, what we find in this chapter is really sort of the process of what it looks like for God to save sinners. Now, some of you who are basketball fans like I am might remember that a number of years ago, the, the Philadelphia 76ers embarked on a campaign known as the process started by their all too famous GM Sam Hinkie at the time, which basically basically the plan was that they were going to empty their team of anybody out there at the time in order to collect as many draft picks as they could so that they could build for the future, so that they could create a process in which they'd be good enough to compete in the modern NBA, because it had been a while since they really had been competitive. Now, history can be the judge as to whether they've made it, but the reality is they have created one heck of a team for themselves as a result of the process. As a matter of fact, the crowd at 76ers games used to yell out and chant, trust the process. Well, we're going to see quite a process today when it comes to how God goes about the issue, goes about saving people that have rebelled against him. First, we're going to see right at the beginning of Isaiah that God's plan involves preaching to sinners, specifically at the beginning with confronting them, confronting them with the law. Look at verse one. It says, thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold and for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Now, what's going on here is the people of Israel, based on the plight that they were going through at the time, had fallen into the very typical human problem of blaming God for all their ills. They were playing the blame game, much as LeBron James justifiably did to J.R. Smith in the finals a few years ago when J.R. Smith blew it with understanding how much time was on the clock. Well, as much as LeBron may have been justified at the time, we are never justified in blaming God for our problems, yet it is the human 
tendency, and that was the case with, with Israel. So there's a series of rhetorical questions. God says, did I ever hand you a certificate of divorce saying that I was done with you? The answer rhetorically, no, of course not. Or is there anybody that I owed a debt to that I paid them off with you? Again, the answer is rhetorically, no, no. In fact, the problem is, the problem has always been the reason you've gotten yourself into the jam you are, my children, Israel, is because of your iniquities. It's your transgressions that have led to the problems that you are facing now. Indeed, there's a lot that can be applied to our day and age throughout all of human history. When we want to blame God for the problems, it tends to be that humanity is actually the one at fault. He also confronts the people of Israel by preaching with, well, confronting them about their deafness to his word. It's not as if he hadn't sent preacher after preacher after preacher to them to warn them of what would come if they continued in their errant ways. Yet they continued. And so what do we read in verse 2? Why when I came, was there no man? Why when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Again, rhetorical questions. Of course he can. And he gives examples. Behold, my rebuke. In my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. Here is probably an allusion to what he had done for the nation of Israel as he parted the Red Sea, as he gave them a path of deliverance away from those that would enslave them and hurt them. Indeed, he continues, I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Again, something that you can see happens in the book of Exodus. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are hearkening the people's minds, memories back to what God has done for them in the past. And God does the same thing here through the mouthpiece of Isaiah. It's not as if I couldn't help you, but you refuse to call out. Indeed, you refuse to hear the ones that I sent to preach to you. And so right off the bat, God is confronting the people of Israel with the hard news of the law. The law is condemning them for their sin. And yet the process of saving sinners also involves preaching to those sinners the comfort of the gospel. And so he continues in verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. It's as if, again, we're talking right about Jesus at this point. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I can't help but think when I hear the term weary and what his word is used for to comfort those who are weary of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Indeed, just as Jesus comes confronting the legalistic establishment of the day, at the same time, he comes comforting those who are weary and burdened, overwhelmed with the result of their sins and overwhelmed with living in a sinful world. Isaiah continues really picturing Jesus for us. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Indeed, we know that Jesus went away often throughout his ministry to hear from the Lord and be strengthened by the Lord and to speak only that which the Lord had given him. And so just like the coach John Mosley in 
the Netflix series about uh, the basketball team that that uh, really works hard called Last Chance You. Just like Coach Joe, John Mosley became a comfort to his team. So Jesus says, even though I come confronting you with the law, confronting you with the reality of your sin, that didn't stop me from comforting those who recognized their problem and were weary. Yes, this is how law and gospel works. Law brings terror to the legalist, but it gives comfort to know to those who know they need mercy. As Jesus says, he will not. He will not snuff out a smoldering wick, nor will he break a bruised reed. And so that's the first part of the process. It involves preaching. It involves bringing that word of God that kills and makes alive. And so you might expect, based on their sin, that the next part of what Isaiah will say will depict God bringing vengeance against his people. In other words, that like the Godfather, he would say, it is time for you to pay your debt toward me. But in fact, that's precisely the opposite of what Isaiah will say. Instead, in spite of their sin, Isaiah is going to pick this, depict this suffering servant as being willing to atone for the very people that have ignored him and have indeed rejected him. Look at verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Here, once again, Isaiah is clearly giving us a picture of our Messiah, even as he's arrested, even as he is whipped and beaten and spat on and disgraced and mocked. All of those things, Isaiah pictures the suffering servant saying, I have endured it all. Why? Because I have ultimately come to save and seek the lost or to seek and save the lost. I have come to pay a ransom for many. I have come to atone for sinners, not to punish sinners. Indeed, the second part of that atoning we see in this passage is found in verse 7. As again, Jesus speaking by the mouthpiece of Isaiah says, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. I can't help when I think about that phrase, setting his face like a flint, to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where we're told that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Indeed, it was always part of the plan for him to suffer on behalf of the sinners, you and I, who naturally reject him. He continues, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Yes, part of what Jesus does in his atonement throughout his whole life and ministry is he never wavers in his faithfulness to God. Unlike you and I that go back and forth and are so fickle in our faith, Jesus never once wavers. He always remains faithful to God, even in the crucible of his cross. He always, in the final analysis, can say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And yet, the third part is that he is vindicated on that cross. Verse 8 and 9 say, He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Again, what can you do to me? Because I know that my Father has my back. I know that I am performing the will of God and that he will vindicate me, even as he is now vindicating me by raising my body from the dead. Nevertheless, if you're my adversary, let let him come near to me. 
Come near to me because I have grace and mercy, as we'll see in just a little bit. Continuing on verse 9, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? No persons can declare him guilty because he lives perfectly in our stead. Behold, all of them who pretend he's guilty will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Indeed, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross to Telestai paid in full, he meant every word of it. He has accomplished everything he's come to do. He has fulfilled the law perfectly in our place, and he has died the death that sinners deserve. So in spite of our rebellion, the suffering servant here is depicted as suffering in our place instead of inflicting that suffering upon us. Yes, this is the process of saving sinners. God proclaims his word of law and gospel, and then God acts to make sure that everyone knows he's taken the punishment for their sins for him. But we're not done. We have a couple of verses left. Isaiah continues now with finally in the process, the call to sinners, specifically the call to sinners to be saved. Hear ye, hear ye. And I can't help as we read these last two verses, thinking of Jesus hanging on the cross and indeed on his left and his right being surrounded by two thieves, two thieves that he's calling out to as Isaiah prophesies. On the one hand, verse 10 depicts him calling out to sinners to be saved. He says in verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Again, I can't help but think of the one thief that upon seeing Jesus suffering on the cross says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, who is turned from his wicked ways, turned from his sin by the grace and power of God. And what does Jesus promise that? thief, that sinner. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And indeed, all who are turned to the Lord, no matter what they've done and no matter where they come from, can expect the same response, that they will one day be with Jesus in paradise, that indeed his work is sufficient enough that he can provide a way for all sinners, even the ones that nailed him to the cross, even the ones that insisted on legalism to the nth degree. Jesus says, no, no, no. If you turn to me, all is forgiven. All is wiped clean because I have paid your debt in full. And yet at the same time, there is a warning at the end of this passage, a calling to sinners that they stand condemned as it is. And I can't help but think of the other thief next to Jesus on the cross that continues to debrate him. And to that thief, to the one who refuses the grace that is offered by Christ, who refuses the work that is done by Christ, Jesus warns, Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. I've given it to you. I've allowed you to do this you shall lie down in torment. And that really is when push comes to shove the story, the process of saving sinners. On the one hand, God comes preaching his word, but he doesn't come preaching alone. God comes atoning in the very word, Jesus Christ, 
for the salvation of sinners. And then he calls out to the world on the one hand and he says, you were all condemned and you all stand naturally condemned because you have fallen short of the glory of God. But take heart. I have paid the paid the price for your sins and all who turn to me in faith, all who trust in me can be absolutely assured that they are forgiven of their sins for now and for eternity and therefore have eternal life. Well, that is the Law and Gospel devotional today, a quite vivid picture from the Gospel of Isaiah, so to speak, Isaiah chapter 50, one of the suffering servant songs. I pray that you have been blessed by our time together, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. God's richest blessings to you.